Hey, hey, welcome to REI Talk Show. This is a podcast where we discuss all things related to investing in real estate and building long-term wealth. So whether you're a seasoned real estate investor or you're just starting out, this podcast is for you. Our expert guests will share their insights, tips, and strategies for success in the world of real estate investing. From flipping houses to short-term rentals to building long passive income streams, we've got you covered. So grab a pen and paper and get ready to take some notes and let's build some fucking wealth together. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back. So excited to be here with you guys today. You're going to want to tune in for this one because you're going to get so much value, especially with everything that's happening in the market today. I'm very excited to have on a special guest, Marsha Lavelle, who is a mortgage broker and specializes in all types of mortgages. So Marsha, nice to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. Exciting. I'm nervous, nerve, crazy nervous. My first podcast ever. And I know you're old hat at this. So I'm just going to take the lead from you, my friend. <laughs> Easy peasy, because you're an expert and you have value to share, especially in this industry. So could you give us a brief overview of your experience in the mortgage industry? Yeah, for sure. Um, my name is Marsha, as, as you said. I'm my business partner. His name's Pete. We're mortgage agents in Ontario with mortgage just which is part of Mortgage Architects, which falls over this colossal giant in the mortgage industry, the DLC group. The main focus of our business is helping self-employed borrowers access mortgage financing for primary residence or investment properties. When I en- I entered the mortgage industry like two years ago, Sarah, you might not know this, but you were one of my, one of my very what? first investor clients. And I'm self-employed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm self-employed. Yes. Marcia got me the money. <laughs> yeah, I did. It was a tough go, but we made it happen, right? So at that time, we were dealing with like a rapidly changing market. It was like the roaring 20s, basically, of the mortgage industry. People were purchasing, refinancing, investing like crazy. We saw home prices during the pandemic climb 62%. Like when I think back, we really should have all seen what was coming, right? This dark looming cloud. We look back, we, we, we just didn't see it. Anyways, my whole point here is that equity growth and those interest rates were just not sustainable long-term. Now what we're seeing is the rates climbing and refinances and purchases are basically drying up because investors like you, Sarah, especially first times, they take out the equity on their primary residence to invest in their first investment property, right? And now with the rates, the way we're seeing them, that's just not happening. It's not a desirable situation to be in. So in a nutshell, my time in the mortgage industry has been a little crazy and interesting, I guess, right? Like through a pandemic all of these last interest rate hikes. So there's, it's an ever-changing market. And I think during those two, two and a half years, it's just been crazy. And there's been lots of learning that has happened in that two years, just because of the way the market was changing so quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, It's like the ebb and flow, right? There's always an ebb and flow to any industry that you're in. So can you give us a little overview of the current state of the interest rates and the likelihood of a rate hike in the near future? I know we don't have a crystal ball. No, I know. And anyone's anyone's guess is as good as anyone's, right? But what we have seen is the Bank of Canada's 
eight meetings, eight consecutive hikes. It is no one, no one saw it coming, right? At all. But the rates that we had during the pandemic, they're just not sustainable. And we had to all know that. Yeah. We had to know at some point those going up. I think where the shock comes in is that we did not and see the aggressive monetary policy of the Bank of Canada coming, right? We look back at December, for instance, they're like, we're going to hold steady. Bank of Canada was saying that. Most of the economists were saying that. We had seen in December, you know, the inflation rate had come down. So you kind of think that come January, they're not, they're not going to raise that rate, right? We saw inflation come down, but it's not coming down fast enough to get to that targeted 2%. And what they're trying to do here, I know I'm getting off topic a little bit, but this is I, this is good stuff. Yeah. So what the Bank of Canada is trying to do here is get us back to that targeted 2%. We are not listening. We're not being good Canadians, right? We need to stay in a situation where we're not experiencing hyperinflation. And the, the Bank of Canada is basically willing to sacrifice our housing market to allow to protect our money and protect mm -hmm. our economy long-term, right? This is like short-term pain, hopefully to end up in a situation where we retain the value of our currency. I was reading an article a month or so ago about Venezuela. They have been struggling with in hyperinflation since 2016. 200,000% was the peak of their inflation. In December, that was down at 234%. If we end up in that situation in Canada, our retirement earnings of millions of dollars or whatever, it's going to be thousands of dollars overnight. So while we're not enjoying what's going on in, in our interest rate market here, and it's, it's having a horrible impact on homeowners, investors, and anybody that was in a variable rate mortgage, not being prepared for their rates to basically their payments to almost double. It really has to be done. And it is such a delicate balance that, yes, they could overshoot this and raise the rates far beyond what they need and not get that soft recession landing that they're looking for. I hope that that isn't the case. But <laughs> we don't know. So back to the original question, are we going to see that rate hike on March 8th? If we continue to spend money in our economy, have jobs, and see wage inflation at the same rate that we're going, I don't think the Bank of Canada is going to have a choice. They're going to have to raise it. And I think there is a possibility that we could see 25 basis points on March 8th. And even if they do on March 8th, I think the next seating, we, we may see that. So... Wow. I know that was a real answer to yeah, get to no, the question. <laughs> I learned so much in that, you know, and I've been in the industry for a couple of years now, but that was just so insightful. So how do you, okay. how, how do interest rates impact real estate investments? Mm, short, short-term borrowers. It's all, it's always the same when right, when rates climb, especially that rapidly, we see the market cools, right? 
people typically put the brakes on purchases and refinances and the mortgage industry basically is surviving on renewals really. Right. And we are, I don't know about where you are, but we are certainly seeing that in, I'm in Ontario and in Waterloo region. We are certainly seeing that in our local area. There are not as many listings, the inventory, obviously that means the inventory is low, but we're not really there's not a lot going on, put it that way, in our, in our market. Not it, certainly not compared to a year ago. But this does this does leave the opportunity here for people for investors that have the means and are still willing to invest in this market, right? Because there's less competition even for the houses that are there on the market. The prices in our region are down. I don't know if they are in yours. We're down. I think I think we're around twenty percent down. But what that means, when you have a lower purchase price for a property, you need less money to close on that property. You need a smaller down payment. You need less closing costs, right? So even though those interest rates are a little bit higher, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's not a good time to buy. Yep. Yeah, I agree with that. We're down a little bit, not a lot, but we are slowly coming down. But we're seeing about a 25% less inventory right now as well. And I'm here on PEI for those right. of you who are just tuning in. So can you explain the importance of locking in long-term rates for real estate investments? I, I don't really know that um, locking into a fixed rate is always necessary the, necessarily the best or greatest option for investors. Seasoned investors want the flexibility of that variable rate mortgage. They want to be able to pull the equity out and reinvest in that property without paying the penalties that come with a fixed rate mortgage. That being said, what I'm seeing in our market and what I would be recommending is that investors, especially in new purchases, and even, I guess, in refinances, take a short-term fixed rate. Do something that's a year or two long. You're not locking yourself into that five-year fixed where you can't access that equity easily. And it allows you as an investor to protect that monthly cash flow. So you have the stability of knowing what you need to pay out without worrying about those variable rates rising. And right now, we are in a situation with fixed rate mortgages where they're at a 20-year average. So yep. our fixed rates are very, very normal. So yeah. I know that it's still hard for people to swallow a 4.7 rate when they were, you know, 0.99 yep. as a variable <laughs> or point. But this is, this is more normal. Like those pandemic rates were to stimulate the economy. I think, I do think, and it's my own opinion, I think it caused an overstimulation and a, a world of hurt for the economy long, long-term, right? Yeah. But those fixed rates are, those short-term fixed, that's a great way to go to be able to have access to that equity in a short period of time without the fees. My mother-in-law, she tells me her story about when they first bought a house and it was like 18.7% when they first bought their house. Right. But we well, did. We, we, yeah, we got <laughs> used to those, those small ones, but you're right. It's not the norm. And if you went back and you did some research, you would see, you know, what the rate typically is. We got, we got a little greedy. I, I agree. 
Um, and it did, it did, it did, it comes with consequences, right? It comes with consequences. And I, I agree with you on, on your opinion there. So how can real estate investors weigh the risks and benefits of alternative investments in preparation for a rate hike? There are risks and benefits in every single investment, right? And to me, and my real, your real estate investors are not going to like to hear this, but <laughs> investment is all about diversity. I believe you need to invest outside of real estate. I think back to when I was a kid and my parents would always say things like, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Right. And I, to me, that holds true. And I think that even though real estate has been proven to be a big winner over time, everything runs in a cycle. I think you should hold different types of assets, whether it's stocks, bonds, golds, gold, real estate. That way, if you have one or two investments that are underperforming, you don't risk losing all of your money. And then traditional assets like stocks, bonds, gold are all very liquid, which allows you to convert to cash very quickly. So if you do come across that property, that once in a lifetime property that you need to have, you have the ability to take that money out, put down your down payment, and then continue to grow those traditional assets again without risking losing everything, right? Yeah, I agree with you. And I saw a clip yesterday with Kevin O'Leary where he talks about that, you know, real estate investing should be your 33%. Should be, you should be investing diversity in 33% in different things. And, you know, I just recently started investing in precious metals. Do I know a lot about it? No, but I didn't know a lot about real estate when I started. So we have to continue to <laughs> learn and to grow and to be educated when it comes to diversifying our portfolio. So can you discuss that, the role? Oh, go ahead. I mean, I said, that's awesome. That 33%. That's a yeah. great philosophy. It well, yeah. I well worked. And I love I love that you're investing in the precious, precious metals. And I'd laugh at you for uh, saying you don't know anything about it. That's the easier than real estate. <laughs> I know. But I think real estate is super easy because I'm surrounded by such amazing people like you who's helped me to understand the back end of it. <laughs> um, can you discuss the role of a financial advisor in developing a comprehensive real estate investment strategy? Okay, so as far as the role of the financial advisor goes, it's kind of outside my lane. But what I what I would say is that you always, as a real estate investor, you always need a dream team. And that dream team should include a financial advisor that specializes, this is the important part, that specializes in real estate. You need to understand that this business of investing in real estate can come with huge losses if you don't know what you're doing. Yep. And you can't, one person can't possibly have the expertise to be able to know everything as far as the ins and outs of this industry goes. That is why you need an accountant. You need a financial advisor, a mortgage broker, a mentor, colleagues. It's to protect, it is to protect your capital. You can't just go off and do this stuff by yourself. There are, as far as the financial advisor goes, there are capital gains and other laws, tax laws that none of us would ever, would ever have a clue about. That's why you need to be having and surrounding yourself with people that have expertise in their lane in the industry. Yeah. 
I know you can't see me, but I'm uh, nodding my head vigorously right now because it is absolutely true. Get off YouTube University. It's not doing you any fucking good. It's causing more <laughs> harm, right? Get that mentor. The greatest investment I had was I, invent I invested in a mentor. It helped me to get to where I am. And from there, I developed my dream team because you're going to hear every successful person talk about their dream team. When I invested in my uh, mentor, I found a investor focused CPA. And if you want his information, send me an email at hello easterbrookestates.ca because I will give it to you because he is amazing because he understands. So whenever I'm going to do a purchase now, I consult with him. So I'm putting it in the best area that I need to for me to grow. And I don't mind paying taxes. I just don't want to pay all the taxes. So he helps me with that. So can you provide some real world examples of successful real estate investment strategies during a period of rising interest rates? I have a nice little story I want to share. Perfect. So I didn't, this was um, an existing mortgage that I didn't broker. So I received an email from a realtor uh, partner of mine last week. And uh, he had a client that had two rental properties, both with static rate variable mortgage held at a local credit unit. So what happened here is the lender contacted him, told him he had reached his trigger point, which means he's not even covering the interest of his mortgage. It's not enough to even cover the interest, okay? So what the lender's solution is, lock into a five-year fixed at a 40-year amortization. So this is where I come, this is where they panic and contact a broker, right? Because they don't want to lock into that fixed rate. It eats all of their monthly cash flow and they will not be able to access that equity without a humongous penalty for five years, which means they cannot grow their portfolio. So when I looked at the file, they had $40,000 in penalties to pay. Like we looked at re refinancing and moving the properties they had 40,000 in penalties that they were gonna to have to pay, plus closing, plus discharge fees. And one of the properties had lost um, value. So he didn't have 20% equity in it anymore, which means you can't refinance that property anyways. Mm -hmm. So in their best interest, it's that I do nothing with that mortgage. So what I said to him was, let's, you go back to the lender and try to negotiate a short fixed term and see what they say. So he did so well. I'm so happy with the way this turned out. He ended up getting a one-year fixed term at a great rate. And that means at the end of that year, he'll be able to either renew with that credit union or we can move that mortgage. So with me telling this story, my advice here is to anybody, when a lender comes to you and don't ever take the first thing that they offer whether it's rate, term, amortization, whatever, without trying, at the very least trying to negotiate. And I'm not even saying that you need to do that yourself. Contact a, a local agent or broker or accountant or financial advisor and find out how to even ask or how to negotiate. But yeah. you need to not take that first option. So this story turned out so well. And from my standpoint, I... I didn't earn a dime, right? But I always want to do what's best for, for my clients. Yeah. And I know that I'm 
business with these people. And it wouldn't matter even if I didn't, because it is about integrity. And I would never want to put people in a situation that does not work out the best for them, at least not intentionally. That's why I love working with you because you're so real, raw, and honest. Every time I come to you with a deal, you tell me straight up. One of the things that I learned um, in, when I first started investing in real estate is that all contracts are negotiable. All of them, every <laughs> single one, right? Look at Shark Tank. I love watching Shark Tank and Dragon's Den because you can negotiate back, right? If you don't want to pay Kevin O'Leary the 20%, negotiate to make it a win-win for both sides. I use this tactic to negotiate a lower interest rate through an, an A lender. And it works. You can negotiate. You can negotiate anything you want. You just have to have that confidence. Yeah, okay. I would totally agree. The market that we're in now, I don't know whether this is information I should I should share or not, but the banks, the, the banks are even hungry for business, right? So you do have that ability to negotiate. And maybe, maybe it's not just on rate. Maybe it's on something else in the terms, right? Or maybe you can get exceptions on locations of the property because Sarah, you and I have been through this too, right? Like, and investors don't, new investors don't know this. It is not always easy to get financing on remote properties where the population yep. is low and there's a lot of potential growth going on. So maybe yep. you can get exceptions on things like that too, right? Yeah. And I am living on a smaller province where there is less inventory, more rural areas, only two major cities. So when I do look for a great deal outside of those city limits, it is quite challenging. But having a good broker in your back pocket like Marsha can help you to create those dreams and to fulfill them. Will it work every time? No, it won't. But no. <laughs> you, you learn and you grow. Right. You learn and you grow and you continue to learn and grow on on each deal that that you put in. That's why they have clauses and contracts for a reason so that you can remove yourself from it if the deal falls through. So, Marcia, how can real estate investors determine the right timing for buying and selling properties? I totally love this question because I always say there's never there's never a bad time to buy or sell. Right. I agree. It's just has to be what's right for the investor. So let's take, for example, right now, if you if you own a property and you are having to supplement, you've got a negative cash flow and you're having to supplement $100 or $200 a month to make that mortgage payment. If you can ride out that interest rate storm, then by all means, keep your property. If you can't sleep at night, it's time to let that property go. And it all depends on your attitude and your position in, in life. You can't hold on to a property and put yourself in a hole that you cannot dig yourself out of just trying to hang on, right? There's just no point. If you're if you're in that situation, then yeah, it is time to sell. And as far as as far as buying, there's always opportunities to buy. You just have to find them, right? So maybe you need to go outside of a, a large city at this time when inventory is lower. You get a lower price. Sometimes in most cases, like in some cases anyways, you can get property for cheaper in smaller cities. And the rent rules are typically still very high. Like Sault Ste. Marie is ridiculous. I don't know if it's still like this. I haven't closed any files it there. Is. But like, is it like yeah. the prices of tribe are decent, but the rent is equivalent to what almost equivalent to what we pay in Waterloo region. Like yep. the rent rules are crazy. So 
So maybe you need to, as a, as a buyer to go outside of your, you know, your hometown and your geographical region, or maybe you need to pick a property that is somehow undervalued or needs extensive renovations, right? So there are always opportunities. You just need to know where to look for them and to continue to look for them. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's the same here too. And one of the questions that I always ask my realtor is what is the target demographic that's paying these rents? Like they're telling me that I can get these rents. Who's paying these rents? Because I know where I'm investing and I know uh, the people in the community. And that's another thing is know your area. And if your area doesn't work, reach on to people who are in an area that you'd like to uh, invest with and ask them questions and, and attach to their coattails and they'll be able to help you because one of the questions you should ask is who's the demographic who's renting these properties where how am I getting money from this property so I see that often too I love uh, yeah Marsha what advice would you give to real estate investors looking to prepare their investment strategy for the next interest rate hike well I'm hoping there's not another interest rate right <laughs> amen I, I'm sure everybody Right. Um, my here for me, I think it's going to go back to diversity again and diversity within the real estate market this time. Right. So you can have things like shared ownership where you you, you guys do this sometimes with your JV partners and and uh, like you can do it with family, friends, whatever. Come together, put down a bigger down payment so that your property cash flows immediately and that you can sustain that interest rate increase. So that's always an option. Now you need to make sure that you have all of your legalities in place when you're doing things like that, right? You don't want to end up in a situation where you're with a couple who ends up getting divorced and you're having to sell property and stuff forcibly in maybe a down market too, right? Yeah. The other real estate doesn't always have to be brick and mortar. You have other options. You can lend your own money privately. You can lend out your RSPs through companies like Olympia Trust. In both of those cases, though, I would highly discourage new investors not to go that route because you're in a situation where you are finding the person to lend your money to and the region in which you are lending. So the risk to your capital when you don't know what you're doing is extremely, yeah. um, it can be extremely, right? I do, I do love the idea of investing in mortgage investment corporations or mix. So what they do is they raise capital, they then pool that capital, and then they lend out to a blanket of mortgages. So you would have many mortgages, your money is spread over many people, many houses, right, or properties. So with mix too, what happens is they have solid underwriting processes. They know their lending areas and they have market expertise, right? So while you don't have as much control over where your money is going, it's a great way to stay in cap in real estate and still protect your investment or your capital. I'm going to throw you off here because this is a question that we didn't discuss. <laughs> What's the difference between a okay. mix and a and a REIT? And for those of you who are new to real estate investing, a REIT is a real estate investing trust. It's a trust versus a corporation. That's the only, that's the only real difference. Okay. But it's the still similar underwriting and the blanket. It's still, it's still, it's still very similar. The underwriting process may be different, but I mean, the underwriting process for, for mix from mic to mic is, is different. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it makes sense. Just like property to property, right? Mm-hmm. Awesome. So Marcia, where can my listeners find you if they need some help with some mortgages, which I highly recommend? Oh, thank you so much. Um, you can reach me at uh, Marsha, M-A-R-S-H-A at Peter and Marsha mortgages.ca. Perfect. She's also on Facebook any too. Yeah. Reach I out am. anytime. Well, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you guys got some value out of this. I know I did. I'll definitely be coming back to re-listen to this because you can never have too much information on uh, mortgages, especially when rates are involved. Tune in next week as we talk about the do's and don'ts of real estate investing. Take care, guys, and we'll talk to you later. Well, friends, that's a wrap. So we hope you found our discussion on preparing your real estate investment strategy for a potential interest hike informative and valuable. Remember, diversification, long-term planning, and working with a financial advisor can help you stay ahead of the game in the ever-changing world of real estate investing. So join us next week for another exciting episode where we will be discussing the do's and don'ts of investing in real estate. We'll cover common mistakes to avoid as well as strategize the, for maximizing your returns and minimizing your risks. So don't forget to hit the subscribe button to our podcast so that you never miss an episode and be sure to leave us a review and share the show with your friends and colleagues. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Love ya.